And today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to grab a Bible, there is one uh, down in the seat in front of you. If you do not have a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please take it home with you. We're going to be in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And let me share a little bit about what we've been walking through. This idea of everyday mission is that mission isn't an on-off switch. Mission isn't an on-off switch. It's not something that we turn on when we're feeling good and turn off when it's not convenient. Rather, we are always on mission. And here's the idea. We're always reflecting what we worship. That's Christian or non-Christian. You always reflect back to others what it is that's captivated your heart. And as Christians, we are always on mission, whether it's a good day or a bad day. And we have an opportunity on the good days and on the bad days to point people to our Savior and not to us. Now, we tend to want to do that on the good days. You know, we tend to think, you know, if I do it all right, if my marriage is right, money's right, everything's right, then people are going to just come flooding to Jesus. It just doesn't work that way. Often what God wants to do is to take the weak things, the lowly things, the broken things of the world, to shame the strong. He wants to show his power in us, which means often in my, ready, weakness. I don't like to admit I'm weak. But he is strong, and if he is strong, if I trust him in those moments of weakness, his power is going to be much more visible in my life because I'm truly relying on him to work through me. And so as we jump into Ephesians chapter 2 today, what we've been doing is talking about the power of the gospel to save us. Now, today what we're talking about, what has God saved us for? So there's the power of the gospel to save us from, and there's the power of the gospel to save us for. Now, what is the power of the gospel to save us from? By, there you go. We got some talkers today. That's all right. That's good. Yes, to save us from sin and death, that we have been saved from the penalty of sin, that through faith on the cross, Jesus, he's adopted us into his family. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. But here's the reality that took me a long time to grasp, and I think I'm still working it out. Through faith in the gospel, we are being saved from the power of sin. By faith, we're saved from the penalty of sin. But listen, by faith, you're being saved from the power of sin. How do you overcome sin in your life? It's called faith, not trying harder. The reason I sin is I don't trust him. Now, let me, let me be honest here. The reason I sin is because I think there's something good and God's not giving it to me, and I got to go get it for myself. The issue is not obedience right there. The first issue is faith. It's worship. And so we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. But one day in his presence, we will be saved from the presence of sin. That's what we've been saved from. But here's the next question. What have we been saved for? And that's what we're going to look at today as we jump into Ephesians chapter 2. You guys with me? All right. So let's jump in. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is good news. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the year. The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, and here's the good news, but God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, I thank you as we um, spend this time. It's such a short period of time to gather as the body in your presence. Uh, Lord, you tell us that the word is powerful. It's, it's like a double-edged sword that comes in and it can expose our own blindness, whether it's our blindness to our sin or our, even, Father, maybe it's our blindness to who you are, that we do not want to see you for who you are. Because to do that, Lord, we would have to fall down and say, Lord, it's, it's yours. My life is yours. So wherever we are, Father, may your grace through your word lead us to trust you more and because of that to have a motivation of gratitude and joy to be obedient to you for the benefit, Father, of your glory, but to the, Father, in the end, uh, that this community would come to know you. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what have we been saved for? Now, Paul says at the um, end of that passage, we are his workmanship. Now, it's a beautiful word. We're going to jump in that, into that idea today, that regardless of what's going on in your life, and this was something that took me a while to grasp, I think I still struggle with it, that no matter what's going on in your life today, sometimes we see things as bad or we see some things as good, but through faith in Christ, he's taking all of those things to demonstrate his beauty to the world. God is taking all of the things that are going on in your life, whether they're bad things that you've messed up on whether it's stuff that's happened to you and no fault of your own, or whether it's the good stuff in life. God is taking every event, every situation, and he's using it in your life in such a way that manifests his beauty to the world. Not simply to say, hey, look at me, I'm beautiful, but rather God working through us to show his beauty through my good days and my bad days, that we are his workmanship. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? See, what is the purpose for which God saved us? You know, again, there's a lot of things in the Christian life. It took me a long time to grasp. I may be a slow learner. Maybe my projection of growth was um, not as quick as yours. But I realized after a long period of time that God's power and his purpose always go hand in hand. That God's power and his purpose, they always travel hand by hand. See, what I wanted to do as a young pastor is I wanted to use God's power for my purpose which was my fame and celebrity, my good gifting of preaching a message, my talents in counseling. See, I wanted to use God's power for my purpose. God won't let you do that. Because see, if it was God's power for my purpose, it would be to the praise of my glory. Everyone would look to me and say, hey, look at, look at what God's doing there. Look at that guy. But see, that's not the way that God works. Rather, through us, he wants to make himself known. And so why is it we don't experience his power and his presence as often in our life? Could it be that we're not serving him according to his purpose? Could it be that we want God's power? Because God's power is great to have on your side. You with me on that? 
It'd be wonderful just to use God's power however we want, but it's always God's power that works through us for his purpose. And if we want to experience his presence and his power, we need to make sure our life is in line with his, with his purpose. See, Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come when thy will be done. You don't get kingdom come unless you get will be done. That as we are walking in his will, his kingdom power comes to display who he is to the world. And so what is the purpose for which God has rescued us? Let's jump back into this passage in verses 8 and 9. For he says, for by grace, the unmerited favor of God, you have been saved through faith. And let me stop there for a moment. Because when we think of faith, I think sometimes we have this idea that faith is something we conjure within us. Now, we can set our faith on the right object, which is Jesus, and that object produces faith. See, when you set your eyes, you set your heart, your mind, your thoughts, your emotions on Jesus, what happens is faith does grow. Because, see, the reason we are saved is because of the object, not because of the strength of your faith. Did you hear that? That's really important because you'll feel like you failed in the Christian life if you think that it's the Christian's life is about you know, kind of building up this faith, uh, earning faith, gaining faith. But faith grows as you set your heart, your mind, your thoughts on the object, which is Jesus. And if the object is strong, your faith is strong. Uh, kind of go to this idea. Remember back in the Old Testament, maybe you've read that story. If you haven't, here's the story. Moses is walking through the Red Sea. The Israelites are passing through. Right? He holds up his arms and the waters split, this amazing moment where God's power is displayed. I bet you there's some people that walk through that moment, that experience walking between those walls of water, and they were absolutely terrified. You with me on that? Two walls of water walking in between. There's an army coming to kill you, and you are, you're getting through there, but you're trembling. And then there's one of you, and I know you're in here. You're high-fiving, right? You're, everybody, you're walking by. This is amazing. You know, you're just having a great time. Because you got confidence. But see, both of them made it through. Both of them are saved, not because of the strength of their faith, but the object of their faith. And if the object is strong, then salvation is given to us. You with me? So by grace, we've been saved through faith. The faith is focused on Christ, and it's a gift of God, not as a result of works. Why? So that we could not boast. This is the gift of God. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship in the Greek is this word poema. And if you listen to that word poema, it sounds a lot like poem. And that's exactly what it is, that we are God's poetry. Now, what does poetry reflect? When you read a great poem, it doesn't just reflect the great words. It's not just about the poem. It's actually about the heart of the artist, that a poem reflects the heart, the character of the one that has written it. You look at a great artwork. In part, that great piece of art reflects the inner being of the artist, the emotions, the passions, the desires, what inspires them. Well, think about this. When it comes to God's artwork, your salvation and what God is doing in your life today is that artwork to the rest of the world. Now, we love sunsets, we love mountains, we love animals and all of those things, but nothing is as beautiful as what God is doing in your life through Jesus Christ. 
There is no piece of art, no poetry, no song, nothing more beautiful. And that's why he who began that good work is faithful to complete it. You are his tapestry. Now, here's the challenge. I want to be his tapestry by doing it right. And that's good. I want to get this thing right. I want to have the right marriage, right approach, right attitudes. And those are good things. But see, God wants us to be his tapestry as we are relying upon him. Remember, we went back and we talked about how we've been saved from the penalty of sin and we are being saved. See, often what happens in the Christian life, and you can see if this is true for your life, but when bad things happen or challenges come, we try to save ourselves. What does that look like? Well, I'm not going to trust God's wisdom right now. I'm going to trust my wisdom because my wisdom is going to get the result I want, which means i got to save myself. Now, that may not be from the penalty of sin because we've, we've got that. We've seen that. We're Christians. But see, we're still trying to save ourselves from the challenges we're facing in life. How? By looking to ourselves, trusting in our own wisdom, trying to figure things out in our own strength. Instead of recognizing the Savior that forgave us from the penalty of sin is the Savior that wants to rescue us from the power and the temptation of sin in our life today. But it's all by faith and trusting in him. Why? So that he looks beautiful. So that his beauty and glory is what's displayed to this community. Because see, this community is just like us. They struggle just like us. They have the same weaknesses that we have that are represented in this room. And they're looking to a Savior that it's going to fail them. Because it's not that Christians look to a Savior and everybody else doesn't, doesn't believe. No, all of us have to trust something to save us. The reality is our Savior, if we trust in him, will make us strong in our weakness. Well, in Evergreen, in this community, there are people that are trusting in money, and money's a terrible Savior. It will never hug you back. It'll never give back to you how much you've invested into it, and it will never die for you. And listen, relationships are wonderful. I, I, relationships are tremendous, but trusting in your spouse as your Savior is going to crush your spouse. And how many, how many people grew up here, and you were your parents' Savior, right? You were the sports savior. You did things in a certain way and they looked to you and your dad got all of that self-worth and pride just for me. I mean, that was great until you failed. And that savior crushed him because you cannot carry the weight of being the savior of another person. The reality is everyone in this community is looking to something to save them. What he's saying here in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Not just once, but constantly created where? Where did the creation happen? Notice what it says, in Christ Jesus, that there is a factory that produces this kind of artwork. It's Christ, which means when I trusted in him the first time, but now every single day, what I need to do is to get myself, my challenges, my problems to Christ. And what we really need to do is to help one another to get there. Because here's a reality that you may know already. Uh, maybe you've seen it in me or seen it in someone else. All of us have blindness. Our greatest challenge is not the one we know, it's the one we don't see. And I hate seeing it. I, I, that's one of the things in life. I, I don't want to see it. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to glorify God by seeing the things I don't see. Because when that happens, you know what happens? I, I've got to be honest. 
I mean, I, I could hide, I could pretend, but I need to be honest. God, I need your power to be perfected right now in my weakness. Would you save me? And then see, I've now got to walk in obedience and trust him. But it's in Christ Jesus. He's saying we're his workmanship in Christ Jesus, which means every day turning everything back over to God and trusting him. And when we do that, what's going to happen is something much more beautiful than I could create on my own. Are you with me? It is so much more beautiful when God takes broken things, makes them whole, and then connects them to another broken human being that's trusting in broken things to make them whole. Wow. Because what happens is that person sees hope. They don't see perfection. They see hope. And the more that hope is reflected in our lives, they're going to run to the Savior that we're trusting in. What has God saved us for? He saved us so that we might go into this community and be his handiwork as we continue to trust in him. Do you see that, part, that pattern? It's not about our perfection. It's about trusting him in the daily moments of life so that his power, his perfection, his glory is made known. Now, where do we see that? You know, as you go through Scripture, you'll see passages. Maybe you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You'll see how Jesus interacts with individuals. Last week, we talked about tax collectors and how miserable they were. I mean, these were the worst of human beings. You know, we've seen a lot of animosity, I think, over the last month, certainly politically. A lot of name-calling, a lot of hatred. Hatred that I think if it had freedom would result in death. That's the kind of level. And that's our leadership. And if that's where our leadership is, where are we? Well, we have to reflect something different than what our leadership reflects. Well, tax collectors, they were the most miserable of people, the people that you thought were trying to get your people. You know those people? You don't like those people. The people that are trying to get your people, your people, those people. Yeah, I'm saying people a lot. That's, that's tax collectors. They were the Jews that really allowed the Romans to continue to oppress them. Well, Zacchaeus comes to faith. And you know what he does? He doesn't get a list of rules. He gets a savior. You know what that Savior did? It radically reoriented his life so that his life became a work of art. Zacchaeus, this greedy man that was exploiting his neighbors, his friends, all of those people for money, was now radically generous to the poor. Why? It's not because he read the Ten Commandments for the first time. It wasn't because he just had a Bible study and got the right law into his heart. No, he had an experience of the grace of God and it radically reoriented his life to the point that Jesus said this in Luke uh, chapter 19, verse nine. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was not generous to be saved. He was generous because he, he was saved. And his life was now to be a reflection of the work God had done in him to others. And you see that throughout the Bible. Really what the New Testament is showing you is the evidence of salvation, of trusting in God. You see this woman who was a prostitute comes to the home of Simon, the Pharisee. Could you imagine being that dirty, that unclean, coming to the home of you know, somebody with a Ph.D.? in religion, a PhD in morality. Have you been with that guy? It's a pretty condemning place to be when you're already someone of ill repute, someone whose name and reputation just causes people to sneer. And you feel it. You don't see it. You feel it. 
Well, that's who she was. She comes in and she takes this perfume that, according to the tradition of that day, would have cost at least a year's salary, and she poured it on Jesus' feet. She wiped his feet with her hair while everyone else around thought, what is she doing? What is she doing? And Jesus, in response to that experience of grace, he says of her in Luke chapter 7, verse 47, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Why? Because he who is forgiven little, listen, loves little. Where's the emphasis? He who is forgiven little loves little. It's on the forgiveness. See, the degree to which we know, the degree to which our hearts have been rewritten by the forgiveness of God, to that degree we can love others well with a generosity that displays God's handiwork. See, what's, what's wrong in our, our culture today is that we're constantly being offended. We're constantly saying, I got to boast in me. Life is about me. When life's about you, the only right way to respond to conflicts is with some kind of retaliation, right? Because if I'm going to boast in some me, I got to make sure you see me and I got to be right. Christians should never be fighting for being right. Everything we should be doing is to get people to see our Savior, to see his generosity, to see his patience, not to love those that love us, but rather as as he says, if he asks you to go a mile, don't go a mile. You go two miles. And if he asks you to take your jacket, you give him your shirt. Why? That seems ridiculous, doesn't it? Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Who does that? I'll tell you, no one does but God. I think we have lowered the bar because we're not trusting, we're trying to do. We've lowered the bar in Christianity because, see, what we've done is we've said, hey, if I'm going to do this, i got to do it down here. But, see, that's the problem with the Christian life. We are being saved from the power of sin. How? By trusting in the one that's done that for us. We are his workmanship. And what has he called us to do? To be a reflection of what he has done in the world. And here's the good word, because that's who you are. Again, if you look down in verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship. You know, throughout verses five and six, you'll notice three times he says, with Christ. Now, verses one through three, really, if you go back and study this, it's describing who you were before you came to Christ. He said, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Your passions were set on the things of the flesh. But what has God done? He's raised you with Christ. He's seated you with Christ. That's a good seat. You know, there's a lot of good seats. We want that seat. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Meaning, and here's the good news, everything that is true of Christ is true of those who have faith in Christ. If Jesus died for the penalty of sin on the cross, that means I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God. If Jesus is alive to God, to that degree, I'm alive to God because everything that's true of Jesus is now true of me. Why? Because I am with Christ. That's my identity which means I am his handiwork. I am his craftsmanship. He is a good carpenter. He is a good poet. He is a good artist. And your life is to be a reflection of his beauty. But we have to know who we are. And here's the challenge. We don't do good works to gain something from God. We do it because that's who we are. And that's our savior. That I do good works and I serve because I am a servant because my Lord served me. And I don't, I, I don't, You know, when I find that spirit in me, and I find it often, let me be honest, I don't want to serve. I don't want to serve right now, God. You know, the best thing you can do is just admit that, Lord, I don't want to serve. Because, see, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, but he did. 
And how did he do that? By trusting in his father. I'm in the same situation, I gotta tell you. So often, I don't wanna serve. I don't wanna sacrifice. I wanna be right. And you know what I need to do? I gotta go to the cross. I've gotta sacrifice myself, meaning what I want for what is gonna show off God's beauty. And so he's saying that's what God is doing in our life today. Now, how does that work and how does it happen? If you'll turn with me just for a minute to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Because if we are with Christ and we are in Christ, then that means what God is doing is he wants Christ to show up through us, that he wants his presence to be seen through what we do, what we say, how we live. So in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul's describing verses 22 and 23, he's describing the church. And listen to the words that he uses. He says, now he's describing God, and he says, he, meaning God, put all things under his feet, meaning Jesus, and gave him his head over all things to the church. So in every challenge we face, Jesus has authority. He is over all things. Doesn't look like it, because sin still, the power of sin still is present, but Jesus is head. He's Lord over all things. We can trust him. But who are we? And he goes on to say, if Jesus has all this authority and he's head over all things, why? For the church, to the church. What is the church? It's his body. And here's the great news. The fullness of him who fills all in all. God wants to fill Evergreen with his fullness. And every corner, every house, every place, every store, every person. How is he going to do it? Through us. Who are we? Notice what he's saying. The body of Christ is the fullness of him who fills all in all meaning that we are the ones through which his fullness goes out and impacts the lives of others. There's no other plan. There's no plan B on this. We are to be his reflection so that his presence goes out and fills all things. Now, how do we do that? Again, how do we do that? Let's go back to the beginning of this message. We do it by faith. We do it by faith, trusting this is my identity. I am his workmanship. You know, I gotta tell myself that so often that I'm his workmanship, meaning I'm not supposed to display my work. I'm supposed to display his handiwork in my life. And that's great. That is great news, that I'm to display his handiwork, which means, you ready? Here's where it kind of goes. I gotta be honest about what's going on in my life. Now, maybe not honest up front, you know, in front of everybody today. You gotta be honest with someone. You gotta be, you gotta be honest with someone so that all things can be under his lordship. There are things right now in this room because we're all similar. We know we got, we got some stuff to clean up. We got marriages that need to be cleaned up, attitudes that need to be cleaned up. You know how they get cleaned up? They first gotta be under the authority of Christ. Now he's saying all things are under it, but not all things are surrendered to it. All things are under Christ. God has created. All things are under him. But listen, are all things in your life surrendered to him? Meaning, God, you have your way in me. Not my will, as Jesus said, but thine be done. Are we surrendering all things to him? Let's jump. You know, what does it really look like to, to be his handiwork, to do good works? On the one hand, it means everything is to the glory of God. There's nothing in my life that is off limits to God. It's all to his glory. And he is to, to be the one under which all things are submitted. But then, if you jump down in Matthew chapter 28, we'll close with this idea and we'll celebrate communion. Matthew 28, verse 18. 
And the same kind of language we're going to see here. And Jesus said to them, notice, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just as he said in Ephesians, all things are under his feet. Jesus has authority over all things. He's just reminding us of what Paul just said. I have all authority. I've got your life. Your life is under me. But this is the purpose for which I want you to live. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You know, this passage used to dumbfound me. How do I do that? I can't tell you how many books I've read, classes I've been to, fill in the blanks I've answered. I've done it all, navigators, all that kind of topical memory system, young, all that. I did it all, you know, and I still felt like, I wasn't making disciples. But then I started to realize something. See, through the body of Christ, the fullness of God is with us, right? And, and Jesus is the head of the church, and he's saying, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. Be my workmanship. Be my artwork to the world. You know what our job is? Whether to the Christian or to the non-Christian is to help them submit themselves under God's authority. You know what that looks like? I mean, just imagine in your last conflict, what would it look like if you brought that conflict under God's authority, under his presence? You know, often we're just kind of looking at the other person and trying to get something from them. But what if you have everything? <laughs> you know, what if you have it? We have everything for life and godliness, Peter tells us. You gotta keep reminding us. We've been blessed to the praise of his glorious grace. We have everything. We're richly supplied through what Christ. What if you have everything? And, and in conflict, you're not trying to get something from you to try to prove you're right. But see, I'm trying to, in that conflict, get everything back under Jesus. Because what did Jesus do on the cross when he died? He brought all things, all things, in heaven and on earth, back under the authority of God. You know what life is about? It's helping each other get things back under Christ, which means, Father, I need you. I need you in my marriage. Would you be the Lord over my marriage? And then it's to speak into each other's life. Ready for this? This is the big switch. Not law, but grace. You know the difference between that? Law can be great advice at times. And sometimes we need law to wake us up to grace. But see, what I need to do is to speak Jesus into your life, not just to speak the law. You know how you grow in patience? You see the patience of Jesus for you. You're not gonna grow in patience by being patient. But if you see his patience for you on the cross, not wanting to run but to die for you, and you see his patience leading you to joy and an experience of the Father, that patience will start to flow. How do you grow in self-control? You see Jesus' self-control for you. You see what God has done. How do you grow in forgiveness? You see how much God continues to forgive you. And you trust by faith. That's what God's done. I am forgiven. Therefore, I'm going to forgive others because I'm not looking from, to get anything from you, but rather to look at the one who is working through my life to display his beauty to the world. You know, that's all we need to do. You ready for the four-letter word? Obey. Trust. Then you know what we gotta do? We need to do something. And I think that's where we are right now for us at Bergen Park is to go out and say, God, I wanna be your handiwork to this community so they might say, hey, the God that you worship, I'd like to know about it because they know the gods they're worshiping is failing. But the God we worship continues to renew us day by day as we set our eyes on him. Are you with me? 
And that's a mission only God can accomplish. So let's, let's pray. Father, I'd ask in Jesus' name that you would renew us. Father, through your grace that um, so often, Lord, I, I think we forget the gospel. We lose it as, as the entry-level starting point for the Christian faith, but we don't see it's faith in the gospel that renews us day by day by day. It's trusting in you, seeing what you've done for us that strengthens us. And so, Lord, as we today celebrate communion, I want to ask, Father, that in Jesus' name, you would show us the things we've got to bring back under your authority. All things are yours, Father. We are playing a game to convince ourselves that we can control life. We are on a small little rock in the middle of a huge galaxy. And Lord, we're spinning at so many miles an hour, and yet we think we're in control of life. Father, help us to surrender those things that that you already have your hand on. They're already under you, but they need to be surrendered to you. And so, Lord, as we come to the table, would we search our heart? Would you know us? And Lord, would we let go and say, Father, would you save me in this area? Would you be my Lord? Would you be my Savior? And maybe for the first time, for those who are here, they need to trust you. Say, Jesus, would you forgive me for my sin? And Father, would you accept me on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone? I want to trust you and know you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. For those that are going to serve communion, would you come up this morning? Let me share with you how we're going to celebrate communion today. Uh, We want to invite you to come forward when you're ready. Please take the time and truly to search your heart to know what is God saying to you today. It could be, you know, totally separate from what I shared, but the Holy Spirit is willing to to speak into our lives through his word to, to give us what we need. And so would you just listen to him? And when the time is ready, would you come up front? The way we celebrate communion is we take the bread and the person standing there will say, this is his body, which is broken for you. You receive it place it into the cup, dip it into the juice that's there, and they will say, this is his blood shed for you. And we receive by faith, reminding ourselves, this is why we're accepted. This is good news. We're not accepted because of what we've done, but because of what he has done. And if we could just walk in that this week, man, everything would be different. Let's experience what God has shared with us together as family. Come forward when you're ready. If you'd like to stay where you are, you can raise your hand and they'll also come to you.
guys can go ahead and stand with me. We're going to do one more song. Hope you guys have a great week. This is one of my favorite old hymns. And uh, we're going to try to start doing more old hymns because I know you guys love it. So blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. A year of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. We all sing. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. So this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight, and angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy. Whispers of love. So this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. So this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. So perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior, happy and blessed. So watching and waiting. Looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. And we all sing, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Father, I thank you that our story is grace. Our story is adoption. And our story is the power of the Spirit that will enable us, Father, this week to remind us we need to trust you. And in trusting you, Lord, to know that you are good. And you desire 
Father, to this community to demonstrate your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for the work you've done in us, and thank you, Father, for the work you want to do through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, have a great week. It's good to see you.